I'll tell you what, it seems like it's been a while since this young or youngish <laughs> man was here. Dr. David Tabaret, how are you, sir? Dr. Mark, hello. I oh, no, I'm no doctor, oh. sir. My, my advice might be a little different than the advice that you give for our pets. Uh, it's just some of us are boring and some of us, you know, live more exciting lives. But only the best advice around here, mate. So That's you're, it. you're ready to take a ton of calls today. Yeah, let's get on to it. Maybe a topic or two. Oh, look, I've been out and about mm. enjoying this spring. Is it spring or are we in the middle of summer? It's very confusing. By the book, it's spring. Yes. Well, our pets and uh, they're, they're thinking it's summer. All right, well, we'll get into that. Look, there's so much to talk about uh, over the summer period, mm. hazards for our pets. And um, as an emergency veterinarian of uh, 25 years or whatever it is. Um, Mate, nobody this... likes a bragger. Oh, look. <laughs> <laughs> How do I look so young? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is our busy, busy, mm. busy time. And we've just had probably the, the busiest weekend we'll have except for Christmas. And that's our October long weekend. And really what's dominating the patients coming through the door in an emergency is snake bite. We have seen way too many patients with snake bite. And um, I wanted to touch on that if we get some time today. But just very quickly, I did want to pick up one other topic, which I've noticed um, walking my dogs. I take them down to Redhead Beach every Saturday and I am always throwing dead puffer fish back into the ocean which my dogs think is great because then they want to chase them back in. And then, of course... Take a, put a tennis ball in your pocket for that. You well, know, yeah. Try but to distract them. The thing is they're dead, so what happens is the fish, not the dogs, but um, they get washed back in with the waves. So I have to throw them a lot further out. And the reason for that is that puffer fish contain a toxin, tetrodotoxin, which actually paralyzes our pets. And all they have to do is mouth on the skin or the tail or whatever it is. They don't even have to ingest it that much. Is it just a slight touch? Well, a slight touch will probably, Mm. you know, if they sniff it, Mm. not too much of a problem. It's the same toxin that uh, people ingest when they go to Japan and they eat fugu which is this paralysing toxin. And in people, the reason they eat it is it gives a tingling sensation Mm. around the mouth because you're getting partial paralysis. But unfortunately, our dogs, they're not um, preparing the puffer fish in a sashimi style. It's just, oh, there's a dead fish and it smells good. Right there on the sand, yeah. Right, and I'll eat it. And then what happens is they end up in hospital on a ventilator for three days because they're fully paralysed. And there is no antidote. We just have to ride it out. Um, And that can be obviously very dangerous for them and certainly very expensive for pet owners um, if their pet does that. So if you're at the beach, see a puffer fish, please put it back in the ocean or bury it very deeply because they are going to be hazardous to any other dogs that come along. Um, The other thing that we're seeing a lot of too, which is interesting, this story is about tick patients. Because, you know, we know that ticks start to show up sort of early spring, so August, September, October. Uh, And then when it gets too hot, we don't see as many. So December, January, they drop away. And so October, November is really our busiest period. The funny thing is if we go back about five years, and I'll probably get the dates mixed up, but um, our veterinary director did an analysis of our caseload of tick patients, and we saw a dramatic drop after the introduction of the um, compounds known as isoxazalines, which are things like Nexgard and Brevecto and Serestro and there's a few others uh, as preventatives because they're so, so, so effective. 
we saw 60 to 70% reduction in patients coming through the door with tick poisoning. Unfortunately, the last couple of years, we've started to see that rise up. And this year, our case numbers are coming back up. So what are we putting that down to? Um, compliance. I think we've just kind of got a little bit... Drop know, the ball a bit. Yeah, take it for granted. And oftentimes when I talk to people, they're not maintaining their tick preventative all the way through the year. And so what happens is then you hit this period, you get a, a you know nice warm weekend, bit of wet weather around, and suddenly ticks are everywhere and your pets are suffering from it. And again, hazardous for the pet. Um, you know, there's unfortunately good treatments, but expensive. And there is a risk or a very real risk of that your pet could die. Um, and so we really encourage people to make sure they speak to their vet about preventatives um, for their dogs and cats. Yeah, particularly when you mentioned that, David, that once the, the, the treatment sort of came around, 60 to 70% oh, drop. massive. I mean, to sort of lose that advantage is is, a, is, right. is not good. Yeah, we're not, you know, um, years in dec. I'm going back decades, but we used to see new products come on and a couple of years later we would actually find that perhaps um, we were seeing resistance, mm. but we're not seeing it with this, uh, I, I don't think. Um, and the researchers, I've been to a couple of tick seminars over the last few years, months we're not seeing resistance it's really a compliance thing so just trying to keep up with it and look i i understand some of these products they are they are a bit exy uh, but when you compare it to treatment it's a lot lot cheaper and it certainly gives you um, a very good peace of mind well it's the prevention slash cure thing of but course. It, but again i mean these are, this is kind of the if you will the cost of doing business That's, like yeah. i want a pet well this is what it costs to have a pet and not have it sick and not have it bounce back on you down the road with expensive veterinary visits that, that keeps uh, david in his fine cotton shirts Oh, thank you for the comment on my shirt. <laughs> Good afternoon, Anne at Greeter. Your nine-year-old mini schnauzer has uh, gone to the loo a little bit often. What's happening, Anne? Actually, it's a nine-month-old puppy. Nine-month-old, yes. Hi, Anne. Yes, yes. Hi, how are you? Good. So your little one um, is a male or female? Uh, female. And de-sexed? Yes, de-sexed. Okay. And so when you said going to the toilet too often, what is that? How, how often are we saying? <laughs> She's getting me up at least twice of a night, like in the early hours of the morning. Yes. Okay. And I'm not sure whether it's, am I overfeeding her? Uh, I take her out for a wee before we go to bed. Yes. She does what she has to do, and then we're happy. But one o'clock, might be three o'clock, might be four o'clock. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, have I got into a habit? I don't know. Well, <laughs> has this been a recent, like, has it started, or is this a carryover from when she was well, younger? I Kind of a carryover. She was in a pen yeah. for most of the time. Yeah. And I've taken her out of that and <laughs> she's now sleeping on my bed. <laughs> okay, and this is why you're waking up because uh, she's so... so yeah, she knows we're <laughs> talking about her. <laughs> she does a little vomit. <laughs> so, now, the other one is six years old. He's a mini schnauzer. Oh. So he's fine. He doesn't get up. Oh, she's gone mm, to the front door. He's um, smart. He's smart. Oh, he is smart, yes. yeah. So... Yeah. Oftentimes, I think I think your thought your thoughts are probably correct. Is that it is a carryover and it's kind of a, a habit of the toilet training. Um, the fact that she's sleeping on the bed means. So what can happen is, and I've seen this before with young dogs, and um, mm -hmm. where you wake up or like they might make a noise or something, you wake up and then they go, "Oh, you're up! Come on, let's go!" And then, <laughs> so they'll go to the toilet because why not, right? But then. 
it's like, well, while we're here, um, maybe you could feed me or maybe we could play or maybe I'll just wander around for 20 minutes. And you're, meanwhile, you know, trying to keep your eyes open with toothpicks um, <laughs> while they're doing their thing. And exactly. it really, you, you're kind of building a bit of a burden for yourself by not instilling good nighttime sleep habits. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, I don't think it's, nece- it's not really a medical problem. I mean, it could no. be, but um, if otherwise she's all okay and, um, you know, no, no other problems. And I think it's really behavioural and it's related to, you know, how she sees, oh, you're awake, I'm awake, let's go. So I think we're going to have to revisit whether she's sleeping on the bed at this early stage. Oh, so maybe what? Um, leave her in the kitchen then? Did you crate train her or was she uh, just penned off in a room or something? She was penned off in the kitchen area. Yeah. yeah. And the other dog and I were in the other room. Well, she might take exception to that, but I think I'd rather deal <laughs> with that now and perhaps yeah. go back to that as an idea. Um, just be prepared for some toilet accidents overnight. And, um, you know, you've got to have some matting down or um, paper or absorbent pads and then gradually shrink those, um, still doing the habits where you go out last thing at night, first thing in the morning. And I think she'll, once she reestablishes better sleeping patterns, I think you'll find this problem will disappear for you. Okay, best of luck with everything there, Anne. And uh, David, I was kind of thinking, gee, I'm actually good for a good three trips overnight myself. (laughs) And that includes last, well, and that, is, that's excluding last thing and first thing. There you go. <laughs> um, obviously, the, I did briefly mention mm. uh, thinking about medical problems. So just making sure we don't have, you know, kidney diabetes and, and things like that or drinking excessive water. But usually this is going to be a behavioural concern. All right. All a part of Pet Chat with Dr. David Tabbert over here today on 2NURFM 103.7. David, now we've we've got something. Yep. This is a brand spanker for you. Cotton shirt. This is. Well, I meant that we've got a, a topic. A, oh yes, a, a, yes. A, a patient. An issue. Well, patient. An animal that with you a have problem. You have never dealt with. G'day, Paul at New Lambton. We're getting up into your dog's eyes today. What's going on? Hi, how are you? Good, thanks, Paul. Yes, yeah, so I have dealt with this problem, but not on the show. So right. glad that you've called us. Uh huh. So did they fill you in on what the problem was? So how about you run through? We'll, um, we'll be able to uh, help our listeners understand what's happening for your female cavoodle. Yeah. So she, we've had her at the vet, and what she gets, she gets every morning. She has, like, bad eyes every yep. each morning. So what the vet has suggested is that she actually has an operation to have her tear ducts cleaned out. Yep. Yeah. So we're not that fast on putting her through an operation, so I was just wondering whether there'd be something else that may help her. Okay, so she hasn't had them flushed previously? No. No. And how long is this prem going on for? Oh, probably 18 months. Yeah, yeah. So this is a condition called dacrocystitis. Um, So the tear duct is dacro. Uh, and cyst, well, cyst is the actual tear gland slash duct, right? So what's happening is that um, depending on the cause, and there's a couple of different causes, and cavoodles kind of fit into this in that their faces are slightly pushed in, you can actually get the tear duct 
kind of winding around as it makes its way down into the nasal cavity. And this is why when you cry or you got tears in your eyes, you actually start to get uh, the tears run down into your nose. That's where they go. But they, these ducts um, can actually get blocked up. Now, they can get blocked for a number of reasons. And what happens is then it's kind of like putting a plug in the bottom of the sink and leaving the tap run and the tap being the tear production. And so obviously it overflows. And so at night is when it's going to occur more frequently because they're sleeping. And so you'll get up in the morning and there's this uh, staining and liquid and they can get a rusty color stain on their face. And that's associated with um, iron that's in the tears exposed to oxygen forms rust so that's where the color comes from and i've seen some people actually just use something to bleach the eyes uh, like the area do not do that um so back to your problem uh flushing the tear ducts is not um a terrible thing and it's probably the first best step to go for as long as there's no other signs of infection like conjunctivitis um there are some causes where they'll actually get grass seeds down in those tear ducts which is unusual but it can happen and there are other causes things like tumors that can occur so i mean if it was unable to be flushed then might need to investigate a bit further now the actual procedure i've done this in one of my dogs like 25 years ago while the dog was conscious but she was heavily sedated and um she was a very compliant patient but generally we tend to do this under anesthetic so we take a cannula, which is like a little plastic tube. We find the duct on the inside of the eye and then under anaesthetic, we're able to pass that down and then flush it gently with some saline. So it's not necessarily that there's any cutting involved. Um, it's usually just they have to be anaesthetised to allow us to do it. Right. So I don't, it's not too invasive in that context. Um, there is actually a surgical procedure that may be required, but if it's... The first port of call flushing the tear ducts is not a terrible thing to have done. Oh, okay. Let's so, uh, give it a shot. A little bit, yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, Paul. Best of luck, Paul. Good afternoon, Shell and Cessnock. You have a barking dog. What's happening there, Shell? I've got two um, schnauzers. They're not 12 months old, and I bought the collars to stop them barking because I don't like in case they, people complain. So right. I'm wise to put them around my neck because they're not doing anything. They just beep and... Uh, carry on and vibrate around their neck. So I, I bought water pistols yesterday because <laughs> they don't like water. But I thought it might be something else you can give me um, advice on something. It's just when people go past the back fence, see? And yep. I just get, I don't want to get people get cranky with me. Yep. So we're coming up against this uh, perennial problem that we find when we're living in suburbia where the dog's job is to alert you that there's someone nearby who yeah. they don't know. And um, your dogs are of an age where they're really just starting to explore. They know the world. And so they're, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, we've got this. We'll, you know, we'll guard the territory. And any time someone comes past, we're going to let you know, Shell. You can trust us. And then you come along and squirt them. And they're going to be like, well, we're just doing what you want us to do. Okay, so we've got a problem where the nature of the dog is this alert and they're barking and oftentimes they just get quite excited because people then talk to them through the fence and things like that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, then yeah. they're going to bark even more because, oh, I, I talked and they talked and I'll keep talking and 
so on. So, look, the thing is, rather than um, the collars, I'm not so sure about because there are different collars around. We generally don't want to use them. Um, there are citronella collars. Some people are actually okay with those. I, I'm um, ambivalent, but uh, the, years ago there were shock collars and they are actually illegal. Um, so it just depends on what you're talking about there. The other thing is when you've got two dogs, they'll G each other up. Like one will bark, then the other will go, oh, you're barking, I should bark. And then it's like yeah. next thing you know, they're barking because a fly went past. Yeah. Right. So it's a behavioural thing in that when they start to do this, we need to either A, separate them and B, get them to do something for you so they get a reward, which will be sit or come and sit on this mat. And this takes a lot of training. But... It's not that we um, are necessarily stopping the barking. It's just we're stopping it when it's unnecessary through the behavioural training. Okay, yep. So it does take a bit of work and you probably need to work with someone or in a group with adult dog training. And it's a fairly common problem. And when you've got two dogs, it's like four times the work. Because yeah, I've got a poodle and she's um, 11 and she sometimes she starts not. Yeah, so... Yeah. So you've got multiple problems. So six times the work. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you very much for that. But but okay. you can you can get them to train that you know they'll see someone they'll bark and I've seen this happen they'll bark and then they'll come and sit right next to you <clears throat> and yeah. that, and they're expecting a treat but then that's okay because actually what they've done is they've said there's someone there and you go oh who's that um, and then I- they come over and they're quiet and if you train them to that standard I think you'll be very happy. All right, best of luck with everything there, Shell. Pet Chat on 2 and you are FM 103.7. Dr. David Tabbert is uh, flying solo today, so mate, we'll give you a, an A for effort today. Doing pretty oh, well. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Philip from Stockton. Now, you want to continue the vibe super quick on uh, the dogs having the, the, the excessive toilet. You've got a bit of a, a ramp, something that's worked for you? Yes, that's right. Um, our little um, uh, little poodle, um, she um, was desexed and she was uh, uh, wonderfully toilet trained. And uh, shortly after she was desexed, she started uh, in her sleep uh, just uh, inadvertently wetting herself. Mm. Um, so we took it to the vet and um, they worked out that it was actually a hormonal problem. Yep. And uh, she was put on, um, uh, first of all, propylen, and then um, she's now on Bilboestrol, yes. and she's down to one tablet a week um, rather than a few times a week. And um, the vet said that can be quite a, a, a common reason for, for females because uh, the, the hormones uh, levels drop and the, um, the muscles kind of relax and they don't know um, that, uh, that they've wet themselves really because uh, they're, they're fast asleep. So I'm yep. just thinking that might be an avenue for the lady to go down if, uh, if your method didn't work. What do you think? Yeah, um, and Phil, you summarised that uh, very well. So it's good to see you paid paid very good attention to your vet's description there. That's exactly what happens yeah. um, with these. So you're absolutely right. It's a hormonal uh, or an absence of hormones which have a degree of um, the oestrogen and progesterone have a degree of um, effect on the neck of the bladder, the muscles in that area, and they cause an increased tone that keep the bladder shut. And so when the female dogs are desexed, sometimes that rapid drop-off in the levels of estrogen and so on cause those muscles to weaken. And you're right, it does tend to occur when it when they're asleep. So it does tend to be dogs that are asleep 
and they uh, can leak urine, this urinary incontinence. And sometimes they'll wake themselves up, although I've seen dogs that not wake up. In no, you never wake up. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so the supplements that you talked about, the different types, the propylene and then the still bistrol, um, yeah, that's absolutely the treatment. There are actually sometimes some of those dogs even do need surgery yeah. if the yeah. medication yeah. doesn't work. But um, hopefully that uh, your dog does okay and it sounds like things are going well. So. Oh, yeah, no, she's doing fantastic. I mean, she started off, say, uh, um, the propylene was a, uh, a liquid and she yes. didn't like that. So the other ones are a tablet and um, we've weaned her down and now she's just on, you know, Monday, Monday at dinner time tablet and it. that's it. And uh, good as gold, good as yep. gold. So right. I just thought that might help that lady um, to, uh, for another course of action if your your plan didn't work. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Phil. That's All right, thank, thank you so much, Phil. Appreciate it. Uh, 49216216 for Pet Chat today. David, you, you kind of touched on this earlier, mm. uh, that really warm weather, the snakes are out and seeing a lot of snake bites in the surgery. Um, seeing snake bites in the surgery, I've also seen snakes out when I'm walking through the bush, mm -hmm. um, keeping my dogs on the lead as well and do not disturb snakes for both people and dogs i think the most common reason we see snake bite is because uh someone's trying to actually um well for the dogs try and attack the snake and for people trying to move it so best to stay away give them a wide berth in this area and i realize our listeners are all over the place but let's talk about newcastle lake macquarie wadigan's hunter etc we really see mostly black snakes closer to the coast um, and then kind of up the valley a little bit. We're starting to see brown snakes, but we did do see brown snakes down here. I think there's been also tiger snakes in the Wadigans, but don't quote me on that. Um, and all of these species are, are very dangerous, um, obviously, to, to our pets, uh, dogs and cats. Um, the, the interesting thing... To comment about that is I was watching some of the local vets with their social media last week and treating lots of snake bite cases just in general practice. In our hospital, we ran out of snake antivenine um, middle of last week and we ordered in a big order of 20 bottles and um, we've had a number of patients over the weekend with snake bite that we've had to treat. So it's, uh, it's very, very kind of the time to be alert and to be aware, and if your pet is bitten by a snake, safely remove them and get them to, even if they look fine, get them to a vet as soon as possible. Because the biggest problem is we see dogs that actually, for instance, they're bitten by a snake, they vomit, maybe collapse, and then they get up and they look all right. Those dogs have a known envenomation of a fatal dose. That's right. just the way so, that it works. So that's the, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, right it's there. called pre-paralytic syndrome where they have this reaction at the time and then they look all right. And I've seen where people actually go, oh, well, I was going to bring him in, but he looked all right. And within half an hour later, they're dead. So you've got to get them in pretty quick. Um, and so, as I said, we see brown snakes, we're seeing black snakes and um, both of those just to be alert that they're both dangerous for our pets. Good afternoon, Colleen at Bullaroo. Uh, two dogs having seizures. What's the story there, Colleen? Um, yes, hi. Um, yeah, I've got a Dalmatian cross who's about six. Yep. Um, who started off having what we thought were epileptic seizures. Mm -hmm. um, and now I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old Border Collie Kelpie cross, um, both from different litters, different families, different backgrounds. Um, and he started having seizures. 
Um, I've got a 10-year-old Harrier who yep. hasn't had any at all. And I'm just wondering, I've started to do a Mr. Google, and I'm wondering if it's the soil being in Bullaroo, whether it's the uh, Brunfelsia that I seem to have planted. I'm just wondering, is it, it can't be coincidence, I don't think. Mm. But I, I don't know. It, it, I mean, it's not impossible for the problem to be uh, idiopathic epilepsy, which in dogs is an inherited uh, or congenital brain disease where basically the neurons are short-circuiting, but certainly we do want to rule out other causes of seizures. And look, the best way I'd describe to people is a seizure is kind of like an itchy brain, okay? It's just that it controls everything. And so you see this massive um, muscle activity and sometimes they'll lose control of their bowel very often or bladder. Um, Sometimes they don't even do any of that. They'll just be almost um, collapsed and doing nothing or even just standing and doing nothing. Those are also uh, types of seizures that we see. So there's this quite a broad range in the presentation. Unfortunately, none of those external things that you look at are really helpful for diagnosing what the cause is. So we really have to go looking at things like you mentioned already about the different breeds and ages um, you know, that can be helpful. Um, if we also look at the environment, for sure, we're going to want to know. And the things that you highlighted, the lead, is certainly could be a cause of seizures. Um, uh, so that is diagnosed with a blood test in, in little that, dogs. They've, had, they've all had blood tests. Would, is that something that has been specific <laughs> that you have to ask for yes. in the blood? So, okay. Yeah. Now, it just depends. You'd probably best just to check if they've had some blood tests. You, A lot of the times these days we're running blood tests in our own clinics. We've got machines that'll do that. And then we can send them out to external pathology laboratories. Generally, I would say lead testing needs to be done externally. It's a fairly specialised test. So just double check in case, because certainly that would be something worth... And, Look, if I was the GP vet and I had someone come in and go, this is my second dog with seizures, I'm going to go, okay, it's either environmental, toxic or infectious um, yes. before I start thinking about things like idiopathic disease. It's really got to be high that it's going to be a toxin or something like that. So the Brunsfelsia, they're wonderfully um, – we've got four in our front yard and the flowers look amazing, but the whole plant is toxic and can cause seizures, although generally with that – um, planned a lot of people know it as yesterday today tomorrow um, yep, yep. generally with that it's more muscle fasciculations rather than like loss of consciousness which we see with seizures so and um, would they have to ingest that or do they just need to be near it or no, they have to ingest it so i would be worried about lead and looking for that there are some parasites that could cause problems as well so best to speak to your vet about the various scenarios and see if they can get to the bottom of it. It's certainly very suspicious. All right, best of luck, Colleen. David, we've run out of time super quick. Oh. Uh, we have a uh, dog of the week, four-month-old Staffy. Advice if anyone wants to pick up Cy. Oh, the Cy looks exactly like my little Betty Boo. Oh, right. So, so uh, they look exactly the same. Okay, so another dog for you? No, I've already got two. Right, check out our I wouldn't be able to tell them apart. <laughs> Probably wouldn't. Our dog of the week uh, at the Pet Chat page, 2NURFM.com. She looks gorgeous. Catch you next time, David. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.